All right, we are finishing the first chapter of Peter's letter. And uh, in the first chapter, Peter gives glory to God for our salvation. And then he, he starts, last week was the first time he started to give commands. And the three commands he gave last week were this. Set your hope on the grace that's going to be revealed when Christ returns. So set your hope is command one. Command two, be holy because your heavenly Father is holy. And actually, command three, be fearful. All right? and we talked about that last week. Okay, Now, you're not to be fearful for certain things, but you are to be fearful in the fear of the Lord. Okay? Today, he really zeroes in on one more command. And we're going to look at that. Having purified your souls by obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, and here it comes, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. That's, that's the command. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. And now he tells you why. Not only why you can logically do it, by why, but why this is just a no-brainer that love should characterize you. Since, because, you have been born again. Not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. That's why that's there. The grass withers and the flower fails, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Let me pray. Father, as we open your word, may you do a work, a supernatural work in our hearts. And you tell us to love one another deeply, sincerely, with a brotherly love. And I pray that you would draw us one step closer to you and one step closer to one another. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So, he begins with this, having purified your souls by obedience to the truth. And that raises the question, when's he talking about? And commentators disagree. Some would say this is referring to salvation, the moment of your salvation, and you obeyed the truth of the gospel. Okay, the word is the good news. That's the gospel. So the minute you believed in Christ, you obeyed the truth by believing it. And that is when uh, your soul was purified. All right, so some would say this is referring to your moment of salvation when you're forgiven, the Holy Spirit comes in. Okay, others would say, no, salvation is not really referred to as obedience, this is referring to the ongoing process of sanctification. So in other words, you believed, and then as you're striving to obey, this is the process of God cleaning you up. And um, here's where, where I stand. doesn't matter. Because what it's saying is this. Now that you're a new creature in Christ, and he's forgiven you 
and given you a new heart and placed the Holy Spirit in you and He's cleaning you up, here's what you're supposed to do. Love one another. Right? Either way, however you, you, you determine the time factor, if you're in Christ right now, the marching order is this. Not just love one another, but really, really love one another. Okay? Now, the theme of love one another is repeated over and over again in the New Testament. Right? What's the greatest command? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. A new command I give to you, love one another. The law is fulfilled by love your neighbor as yourself. First John, full of love one another. Why do you think it is repeated so often? Might it be because it's kind of hard to do? Right? In fact, might the great Christian sin be that we love those who are easy to love, but not the others? Okay? And you know what? That's no different than junior high. If you were to ask a junior high kid, do you love the people at school? Oh yeah, I have my group that I love. But this isn't love your clique. This is love everyone. Okay. Now, you say, that's hard. In fact, that's impossible. Well, Peter gives you two reasons why you can do this. Right? Reason number one, since you have been born again okay you have been given new life by god god is love therefore the new life you've been given is capable of loving one another that the idea here is it's not so much a logical argument as it is an assumption if you're born a dog you bark like a dog if you're born a dolphin, you swim like a dolphin. If you're born again of God, you love. Because God is love. So it's, it's not an argument. It's an assumption. Now, the Apostle John repeats this assumption. This is Peter. Here's the Apostle John. 1 John 3.14 We know that we have passed out of death into life. Why? Because we love the brothers. If, if you're no longer spiritually dead, if you've passed from death to spiritual life, you can tell. How? Because you love one another. Right? Whoever does not love abides in death. You're still dead. It's a, it's, it's a truth. It's not, a, it's not an argument. It's a, if, if a baby's born, it cries. If you're a Christian, you love one another. 1 John 4, 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. New birth results in love one another. 1 John 4, 8, Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar, liar, pants on fire. Right? Okay. So the first argument is this. If you're born again, you have... A new nature. And that new nature is you have love for your Christian brothers and sisters. Now, the second reason you can obey this 
is because the instrument that God used to give you new spiritual life, the Word, the Gospel, is not dead and stagnant, but it's alive, it's imperishable, it's abiding, it remains forever. So, um, love one another since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, of seed that doesn't die, through the living and abiding Word of God. So it's imperishable and it remains. And then he quotes from Isaiah, For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of, of grass. The grass withers and the flower fails, but the Word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So argument one, you've been born again. Argument number two, you've been born again of the word of God, which is imperishable, abiding, and it remains forever. So, do it. It's really not a how-to. It's a because. Because you've been born again, Love one another with a brotherly love, a sincere love. Really love one another. Now, uh, I guess we're done. And some of you say, no, you've never preached that short. Okay, I'll go on. But here's how I want to apply this. I'm going to give you a bad example and a good example of how Christians shouldn't love one another and how they should Love, another, uh, love one another. So here's the bad example. Um, Chuck Colson, who died last year, was it last year, a couple of years ago, wrote a book called The Body. And my favorite chapter in that book is called The Right Fist of Fellowship. And it's a true story about a church out east uh, called Emmanuel Baptist Church. And I'm going to do some reading from the chapter because he writes very well. Whoa. <laughs> there we go. Um, so he writes, Many at Emmanuel Baptist trace their ancestry back to a church group known simply as those who follow the holy way. So their roots are, are back in this group. Right? Protective of their own and unyielding on the inerrancy of Scripture Guarding the Christian faith from forces of compromise and worldliness was their generational watchword. Now I'm going to ask you in connection time, why do you think those who have a protectionist mindset often end up being the most divisive Christians? Okay, Think about that. So the church, it's been around for a long time. Their goal is to guard their people from the evils of the world. Okay? They, they call a new pastor, Pastor Donald Waite. And um, he's military. He wears his white uh, Navy suit to the interview. Uh, they love him because he's, he's uh, law and order, all business. And his first thing is he starts a visitation program where he goes and visits all the families in their homes, and he gets to know them. And then at uh, one point, he says this to each family. Well, I'm new to the flock. Is there anything you could tell me about the other people in the church? I don't know them very well, so tell me what you know. 
and people were very happy to give their opinions and give the dirt on everybody in the church. And he had a little black book, literally a little black book, and he would write down everybody's sins and faults and problems and this, uh, you know, they had this sin and that sin, and he wrote it all down. So then uh, he would use that to get his way. For example, in a, in a deacon meeting, one of the deacons was pushing back against him, and he said, why don't we take a five-minute break? And he talked to him privately, and he said, I would think that a man who's made mistakes, especially marital mistakes, would be a little more compassionate. And he got his way. Right? Well, very quickly, the church became upset and divided, in fact, uh, those who were for him sat on one side of the church. Those who were against him sat on the other side of the church. The choir, Colson says, was split. <laughs> um, so the deacons decided they needed to vote. Should we get rid of him or keep him? Now the only problem is to vote, you have to call a congregational meeting. And to call a congregational meeting, this was before the internet, uh, you had to make an announcement. But he would hog the microphone for four Sundays in a row. Okay? So finally, one of the deacons, Frank Fowler, is, is, he's determined to make this announcement. So here's what Colson writes. Frank Fowler got up from the front pew and strode up the stairs of the platform to the pulpit. Bending toward the microphone, he smoothed out a piece of paper and started to read. This is to announce a special congregational meeting for this afternoon to discuss Pastor Donald. What? Suddenly, he couldn't be heard. Flora Waite, that's his wife, at the piano began pounding out, Have thine own way, Lord, and was immediately joined by Sharon Carlson on the organ, drowning out the rest of Frank's message. Pastor Waite began singing loudly into his lapel microphone, and some on the right joined him. Before they could begin the second verse, Frank pulled the organ power cord from the wall. <laughs> Brian McGuire shut the piano lid while Flora Waite beat on his arms for a minute, even losing her hat in the scuffle. But Brian held on. Then Ray Bryson got up and walked over to the pastor in the slow, deliberate way that one approaches an injured animal. Veins in his neck were showing as the two men hissed under their breath. After a minute, Ray appeared satisfied. He turned to go to his seat, but his feet were tangled in the microphone cord, and he fell. There was an audible gasp from the congregation. Pastor Waite delayed for one brief moment before reaching out to help him. It was long enough to convince those close to the front that the pastor had pushed Ray. Ray must have thought so too because he bounced to his feet and hit the pastor square in the nose with his fist. The lapel mic registered the impact. Within an instant, a majority of the congregation converged on the communion table, punching and shoving. Many came down the center aisle to help break up the combatants, but remained to fight after their side began to fall behind in the skirmish. So that's what I thought of. <laughs> the melee soon spilled over to an open space beside the organ. Two, tenor, two tenors and a baritone jumped over the wooden railing of the choir loft and began exchanging punches with members of both sides of the aisle. Mary Dahl, the director of the Dorcas Society, threw a hymnal at one of the tenors, but the missile sailed high and wide and splashed into the baptistry behind the choir. Sharon Carlson had given up on the organ and moved to the piano where she tried to restore by playing 
Blessed be the tie that binds. When, when Ray Bryson's right hook finally took the pastor down, someone grabbed the spring flower arrangement from the altar and threw it high in the air in Ray's direction. Water sprinkled over the first two rows on the side, and a visiting Presbyterian experienced total immersion when the vase shattered against the wall. That's the best line right there. Okay. The fight ended when the police arrived. They restored order, took down names for the report they would file, and recommended some of the men seek medical attention. Ray Bryson's hand was broken. Mary Dahl's knitting needles were confiscated. (laughs) So he ends the chapter by saying they had to appear in court, all bandaged up, broken hands and stuff. The judge, it's a true story, David Goldstein, a Jewish judge, and he played on the Temple softball team, so he knew these guys from, from softball. And he says, I'm dismissing the case, wrapping his gavel with a sudden force on the desk. No charges will be pressed at this point, but I urge you to work this out within your own church. Your Jesus may allow this sort of thing in his followers, but the Commonwealth of Massachusetts will not permit fistfights as a regular order of church service. The leadership of Emmanuel Baptist filed out quietly into their cars, and as they drove off, uh, on the back of each car was a bumper sticker declaring, God is with us at Emmanuel Baptist Church. So Jesus said, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So that's a bad example. Okay. Let me give you a good example, right from Scripture. The night Jesus is arrested, he has a meal with his apostles. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Of all the things he could do, the night he's arrested and the next day he's going to be crucified at nine in the morning, of all the things he could do, the one thing he desires most is to eat a meal with his friends. It's an example of love. Loving the brother. Now, Jesus is crucified. He dies for our sins. He rises from the dead. He spends 40 days with the disciples and he ascends into heaven. The apostles gather. They pray. The Holy Spirit comes upon them. They go out into the streets. Peter preaches. And 3,000 people get saved. And it says, So those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls And what's the first thing they do? And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread, that's communion, and the prayers. Now, a lot of times we read that quickly and we think it says they devoted themselves to fellowship. 
which in our minds, we go, oh, fellowship, that involves coffee and cake. Where if there's Christians, coffee and cake, that's fellowship. No, this is not a verb. This is a noun, the fellowship. They devoted themselves to one another. The fellowships one another. All right? So, um, the idea here is if you're a Christian and you're born again, you will be devoted to your new family. Right? Now, practically, what does that mean? Four quick things. They all begin with the letter B. Four keys to devotion to the fellowship. Ready? One, be there. Okay? When Scripture tells us to love the brethren deeply, it's talking about real, not cyber, but real, irritating, imperfect people in your local church. Okay, it's easy to love people in cyberspace. It's a little harder to love people with real irritating personalities and they're imperfect and uh, that's, that's us. Okay? Spurgeon, you go, the, you go, is this a, a, a recent phenomenon? No, Spurgeon, who lived in the 1800s, London preacher, um, he said this. And by the way, he's commenting on this verse. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love in good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. So Spurgeon said this, I know there are some who say, well, I've given myself to the Lord, but I don't intend to give myself to any church. I say, now why not? And they answer, because I can be just as good a Christian without it. I say, are you quite clear about that? You can be as good a Christian by disobedience to your Lord's commands as by being obedient? There's a brick. And by the way, next week, or in a couple weeks, in uh, 1 Peter, he's going to talk about the fact that we're all stones being built up into a, a temple. Okay? There's a brick. What is the brick made for? It's made to build a house. It is of no use for the brick to tell you that it's just as good as a brick while it's kicking about on the ground by itself as it would be as part of the house. Actually, it's a good-for-nothing brick. So you Rolling Stone Christians, that's not Christians who enjoy the Rolling Stones. <laughs> they weren't around yet. So Rolling Stones are, are, are ones who are apart from the rest. Okay? I don't believe that you're answering the purpose for which Christ saved you. You're living contrary to the life which Christ would have you live, and you are much to blame for the injury you do. Okay? So, ask yourself, am I being obedient to the command to be devoted to the brethren? Okay? Now, little secret. You know all the events we have? We have uh, men's breakfasts and women's events and small groups. And, uh, those are just excuses for you to be devoted to one another. If, if you hear, oh, the talent show's coming up, and you go, hmm, what is my best entertainment option that night? We can't compete with Disney. You know, if, 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 if your choice is the best entertainment option, I'd stay home and watch America's Got Talent. Right? But that's not why we have the talent show. 
Though, Rita, I think you said it was one of the best shows you've ever, even of all the shows you've paid for, one of the better shows you've seen. Yeah, it was, right? You got puppets, you got magic, you got, right? But, you know, <laughs> dancing, gymnastics, it was awesome. Um, but it's not about what's your best value for your entertainment buck. It's an opportunity to be devoted to one another. Now, let me say this. Some people go, oh, okay, I'll join a small group, and then people are obligated to be my best friend and we'll vacation together. No. You see, fellowship, now the verb, fellowship, involves give and take and some relationship skills, and giving, and building a relationship, okay? But the events, and the small groups, and so forth, are an opportunity for you to do that, okay? So, uh, option one, or, or uh, direction one, is be there. You you can't sit and complain about lack of fellowship in the church if you're not putting forth an effort to do your part. All right? Number two, bear with one another. You know who can be really, really irritating? I'm going to list them right now. Um, Christians. Christians can be really, really irritating. Now, I happen to know there are things about me that drive some of you crazy. <laughs> but you're stuck with me, and I'm stuck with you. So let's make the best of it. Right? So here, Ephesians 4. I love this verse. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So here, Paul is saying, get your mind out of the junior high thing where I like this person and I don't. You've been called to a high and holy calling. So walk worthy. Well, how do you do that? With all humility and gentleness, with patience, and here's the word, bearing with one another in love. Bear with one another, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Now, there certainly is a place for confronting and rebuking and exhorting and disciplining. I mean, don't, there is a place for that. But the first question that should come to your mind when there's an irritation is this. Might this be a situation where I should exercise my supernatural power to bear with one another? Okay. Do any of you remember the Dr. Laura radio show? Yeah, she was kind of, she would just let people have it, right? But sometimes people would call in and they would say, well, Dr. Laura, I need your advice. Uh, I want to know if, if I should confront my mother. And Dr. Laura would say, no, why don't you just talk to her? Is it always about confronting and rebuking or 
might grace involve bearing? Okay. Remember uh, last week, whoops, in, uh, I'm going to put it up here, but in 1 Peter, it says, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In other words, it's not heaven yet. There's more grace in the future where we are made perfect. And I think the problem is some of us are just so caught up in uh, the commercial world where it's perfect. This organization is perfect and that organization is perfect. And this vacation spot is perfect. And sometimes when, when uh, you look at a church on a website, you, it looks perfect. And then you get involved and you go, they're not perfect! It's, it's not heaven yet. Right? All right, so bear with one another. Number three, give people the benefit of the doubt. I, I can't forget a story I heard of a man who was on the subway reading his Wall Street Journal. And at one stop, in walks a father and a bunch of little kids. And they're noisy and they're pushing each other. And finally, the man with the Wall Street Journal he closes it, he's got his little glasses on, and he says, sir, your children don't know how to behave. And the man said, I, I'm sorry, you're right. We're just coming from their mother's funeral. Do we really know the burdens that others carry? Do we really understand the life situations they've been through? Or are we quick to judge, make a quick snap judgment? Give one another the benefit of the doubt. Now let me say this. Please apply this to what you hear about other churches. A lot of church gossip. Well, at this church, I, did you hear what they did at this church or that church? Just knowing how complex a simple decision can be. When, when I start to hear people talk about, well, did you hear what they did at this other church? I want to say, were you there in the board meeting when you heard all the decisions and all the factors that went into, uh, into that? Well, well, no. Where'd you hear it? Well, my sister-in-law's butcher's neighbor told me. Um, and let's face it, a lot of Christians love to traffic in controversy. Please be careful about what you hear or say about other churches. Okay? In fact, is an interesting proverb. The one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. Okay? And then there's this. 1 Corinthians 3.17 If anyone destroys God's temple, and in this context, God's temple is the church, God will destroy him. And it's talking about there were divisions in the Corinthian church. Based on, I like Peter more than Paul. I like Apollos more than... And they were dividing the church. And, and Paul gives this warning. 
you use gossip to destroy God's church and he promises to destroy you. Okay? Give people the benefit of the doubt. Number four, bend the knee. I don't mean worship people. What I mean is this. At the Last Supper, John 13, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And they were amazed. Peter even said, don't do my feet. And then Jesus says, unless I do your feet, you can't have anything to do with me. And Peter says, give me a bath. Right? Um, And then Jesus says this, if then, if I then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Some people, some churches actually think that this is a third sacrament. There's communion, there's baptism, and then they say this is a command that Jesus gives. Well, I I think that may be missing the point. I don't think he's saying we're instituting a new sacrament of foot washing. I think he's saying as I have served you, you serve one another. All right. So, practically, what can you do this week to live this out? To serve one another. So, as we close, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart and let me close on a, on a praise. I think this last week at our summer Bible club, a whole lot of people loved, a whole lot of little people with brotherly love sincerely from the heart. So thank you for your love. All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you for your church. Thank you that you have given us spiritual life We've been born again of the imperishable word. And Lord, you tell us that the automatic natural reaction should be that we love one another. So Lord, I pray you would show us how we can do that better in our families, in our small groups, in our ministries, in this church. And uh, Lord, you say that the world will know that we are your disciples by our love for one another. So Lord, we want to represent you well. We pray you would give us more and more grace to be able to do just that. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.